Now, this is uh, next to the last time I'll mention believers' baptism. Uh, I might just take a minute here because I, you know, sometimes people think the only reason we baptize is because we're Baptist. Well, you know, I, I cut this out of Time magazine. I thought you'd be interested because I've been doing for many years that which now the Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church and the fundamental group is beginning to take hold. Listen to this from time. Infant baptism is under fire. The most recent attack on this traditional Christian practice has come from West Germany where 350 evangelical Lutheran pastors have asked the Rhineland Synod to abandon the rubric requiring infant baptism and they have given the demand more weight, 50 pastors refusing to any longer baptize babies in the church, saying that baptism is, baptism is only meaningful when the individual involved understands the significance of the rite or ritual, a viewpoint that's lately been adopted by a number of other Protestant and even Roman Catholic thinkers. In the Roman Catholic Church, which requires parents to have their children baptized as soon as possible, the progressive theologians have seriously suggested that the ceremony be postponed as it was originally until they're adult, when a youth or adult is mature enough to accept Christ or reject him. I love that. Boy, that's New Testament, isn't it? Huh? It's a thrill to my heart that I've been doing this for years. My son-in-law, uh, Jack Williamson, and my daughter, Lynn, are assistant, he's assistant pastor of a church, Methodist church in, down in Kentucky. They hadn't had souls saved for, oh, about 10 years. About four weeks ago, in the evening service, three souls came, up to, came to Christ and the whole congregation wept. But what thrilled me this week was this, dear mom and dad, the church has adopted baptism by immersion from here on. And several of the Methodist churches in the evangelical group are going back now to baptism of adults only or those who have come to a knowledge of Christ. I think that's important for you to know that this is not something you see that Pastor Gian feels. And as you know, as I said, I don't push it. But if you wish to be baptized and you love Christ, Come to my class. And if you just want to hear what I have to say, come to my class. If you decide you don't wish to be baptized at that time, that's all right. You notice I don't push baptism. I don't have it ten times a year. I don't have it like the Southern Baptist every Sunday night. Because I don't believe that, you see. I'd rather have a saved person wait for a year like they do on the mission field to see that they're solid in Jesus Christ and then come and not have me go to them, but come to me and say to me, Pastor again, I want to follow Christ in believer's baptism. You see, this is the key. Now, I'd love you to come to my class. Notice the date, March 19th, Wednesday, 7.30 in the Berean house across the street. So if you'd like to come, come and hear what has to be said about believer's baptism. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I think you should remember now that the 
cantata is on Sunday the 23rd, 7 p.m. Begin to invite friends to come with you that night. If you will turn with me this morning before we come to the Lord's table to Jude's epistle that we are speaking from, it might interest you to know one thing, why the Catholic Church is changing its attitudes I, in this area. Uh, just to give you a, a read from, Life, uh, from Time magazine. Uh, St. Augustine articulated the gloomy theology of baptism that was to remain current in the church for nearly 1,000 years, that the ritual was necessary to cleanse an individual of the stain of original sin and that the unbaptized went to hell. Thomas Aquinas later suggested that the unbaptized babies would not go to hell but to limbo, though original sin would still deny them from going to heaven. During the 16th century, the radical reformers from the Catholic Church, known as the Anabaptists, returned on biblical grounds to the primitive Christian practice of baptizing only believers who are mature. Luther, Calvin, and some of the Protestant leaders unfortunately stood to the tradition and did not follow. Now, the Roman Catholic theologians now look on original sin as a universal weakness in all mankind rather than a damning individual fault which cuts the ground out completely from the need for infant baptism. So this is the area, you see, in which they're working so that uh, sin is universal. All men are judged under sin, you see. And redemption is in Jesus Christ and it takes in the whole universe, not just the Catholic group the Baptist group or any group, all children throughout the universe. So that by the mere fact that they say by baptism is the only way a little baby can get to heaven. Well, then you cut out about uh, two and a half billion outside of the Roman church. And the uh, unbaptized Catholic babies go to limbo, which is not quite heaven, but pretty close. Now, we don't know where they got that. Of course, it's not scriptural, and that's what they're saying now. It's not scriptural. So at least we do have, may I say this, you're not going to see the Roman Catholic Church turn over. <laughs> you're just hearing a few of the theologians, you see. We have to remember there are Luthers in the Roman Church today, all right? There are Luthers in the Roman Church today. And these are the men who are plugging hard for these things that they believe are New Testament. As I said last week, it's believed that the church in Holland, where 800 priests left last year, will be schismatic and leave the Roman church completely as a nation. And that would be it. So there are many, many things in front of us. I think if there's one thing it does for you and for me, it has opened the door of testimony from our hearts to the Roman Catholic people whom we love. It's a tremendous opening for us. 
if I could just say this, uh, uh, I'm not going to bring a long message because we're coming to the Lord's table, but I want to say this, that Roman Catholic doors are open as never before to our visitation work. I don't know if you realize that. We've done visitation for 15 years. 15 years ago, when we went out on visitation work, Roman Catholic doors were by and large slammed in our face. No longer is this so. This last Monday night, two or three of our teams only got to one house, Roman Catholic, and spent one and a half to two hours speaking to them about Jesus Christ. The doors open. Now, this is tremendous for you and for me to bear a good testimony for your Savior because there is much confusion in their minds. If you want to get an idea of that, read Moody Monthly for the month of March in which it tells of this tremendous confusion that is going on in minds. And here is a great opportunity. If you'd have been here last Wednesday night at our prayer meeting and listened to the men tell of their visits and the testimony and the joy they have in visiting for Jesus Christ, every man would want to take part of it because it is a great privilege and God's opened more doors than ever before for us. So just remember that while the whole church, the Roman church, is not changing, it's very, very important. It, it sort of fits in with some of the things I want to say this morning. Anyway, if you would read with me the first four verses of Jude, which is in its proper position just before the book of Revelation, chronologically it sets in properly, in that it speaks of the last days, if you read the 17th to 19th verses of Jude, it's not a long epistle, only 25 verses, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this, this is prophetic. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. That's what we're speaking of, the last days, these days that we're living in who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Notice this. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Notice this. These men have not the Spirit of God. They do not belong to Christ, but they're in the church. They are sensual lustful. All you would have to do is to look at the great tendency in the church, tragic as it seems, to break away for the, from the norm of moral standards set down in the law of God and to allow practically anything. All you have to do is to read your newspapers to see this continually flaunted before you that there is this great tendency in this church of today. In the church, as tragic as it seems, we see it in the nations. We hear it of, of hippies. We hear it of all the others. But I want to say that it's spreading out into the colleges. Unbelievable things. Things that if 10, 15, 20 years ago, we'd even thought of, we'd say, no, it's impossible in the United States. Students going on strike in the colleges, demanding sexual freedom. 
unbelievable things in our secular colleges, in the churches, to find that the ministry is so indifferent about moral standards that the World Council of Churches is putting out uh, motion pictures that are using, as I've said before, the dance in the pulpit to portray the things of God. And as the paper said, uh, one of the Methodist churches on Long Island, the minister was in leotard. Dancing on the platform. In one of the other churches out in the Midwest, in order to show man's spirit before God, the minister disrobes in the pulpit, naked, to show how we stand before God. What does it say? Is this a mystery to you? Sensual men. Isn't it amazing that God puts it down? Remember, he says, mockers are going to come in the last days. Notice what it says, 17th, 18th, 19th verse. Remember that I told you there'll be mockers who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Has this sensuality in the church amazed you? Has it shocked you? Does it shock you when you read ministers who speak of the areas of premarital sex and all of these other areas? And I'm no longer, you know, in the old days, I used to think you never can mention this, but I want to say our young people today know more than I knew when I was 21 years of age and they're only 12 and 13. And I have mothers come to me and say to me, Pastor Gian, will you say something? When you realize that in that last great dope orgy here in Richmond Hill, that 69 of those children were between 10 and 14 years of age taking marijuana. This is the age we're living in. We should be frank. We should say what we have to say. And beloved, you and I, as those who love Christ, should be mindful that these days we're living in are just these of which Jude speaks here. That in those last days, he says, mockers are going to come. And they will be they, those who have not the Spirit of God. You will have to discern this. You should not be so shocked that you don't understand. When you see a man in the ministry who advocates all kinds of letting down of moral barriers, which they have done, if we look to the archbishop in London, if we look to the leaders of the churches in the United States, we are shocked at what we hear. But here we're told these men have not the Spirit of God. They have not been born again. There has been a defect in their calling. They were never called of God. They occupied pulpits they never should have stood in. And unfortunately, some of the pulpits they're in are the pulpits of some of the great churches of 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that have slowly depreciated and gone downhill until somehow a congregation votes in a man who has no conception 
of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God in his ministry. And they're sensual, having ungodly lusts. Now I thank God for my young people. I guess there are about 20 or so in my office this morning just before you saw me walk in here praying with me. These are the senior young people who love the Lord Jesus. How thrilled I was in heart just two Sundays ago when they brought their testimony on a Sunday night and, and a woman was here who wept her eyes out and came to Christ as a personal Savior because she heard young people and she said, that's the kind of faith I want. How I thank God for that. We are to stand fast, beloved, for these things we believe in. This 17th to 19th verse, and I'm just mentioning these because it's so important that we understand that Jude here is speaking of the last days. Mockers are going to come. He says, don't be shocked by it. Don't be upset. Don't say what's happening. Say, I know God has told us this. God has told us in Timothy, in the last days false teachers shall come in. Peter has said, in the last days false teachers shall come in. They shall come in unawares. Now let me read it to you, first to the fourth verses. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Notice how he wants to make clear how, how clear this is. He says, you're sanctified, you're preserved, you're called. Notice you have the Spirit of God. He says, this, this differentiates you from anybody else. Mercy be unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to come to write to you of the common salvation, love to do that, love to do that. He said, I'd love to just come. He said, I want to write to you about these things and I'd love to come to you too and I'd love to just speak to you about the common salvation. I'd like to talk to you about how blessed it is to be saved. I'd like to talk to you about the indwelling presence of Christ and the power of Christ in our lives. I want to talk to you about this. It's necessary. But the Spirit of God is in you. You're called. You're sanctified. You're preserved in Jesus Christ. Now that's going to have to be necessary. That's going to have to be sufficient for you for this time present. Because there are other things I have to get to you about. It's very nice, he says, to get together and enjoy the fellowship, have a blessed time in the Word of God, and feast on the things of God. But if you only sit in your pews and that's all you ever do, this isn't what I need. He said, this is a day in which there's going to be a tremendous need. And if I can say this to the people of God here this morning, you're living in that day when the defense of the gospel is necessary against its adversaries. Strength. Notice what he says. I want to talk to you about the common salvation. It's needful for me to write unto you and exhort you because the spirit of slumber comes. It's a terrible thing in the, in the church that says it loves Jesus Christ that there's a sleeping spirit. It is as though Satan has deaden the hearts of people. The great deceiver comes in and says, well, don't be concerned. You're saved. Now you don't have to worry about anything. Just uh, if he can get you to be still, you see. Be still. Don't do anything. After all, you're saved and the children are saved. And isn't that wonderful? 
Aren't you happy? Yes. We praise God for that. Oh, I'm so glad that so many of you have household salvation, that Christ is yours and the children of Christ. Oh, how I praise God for that. But, beloved, this is not a time for us to just bask in the love of God. He says, now, I wanted to do that. I'd like to talk to you about the common salvation and go all over the deeper life. I want to. It's a necessary thing, but there's something more necessary, and that is that I want to exhort you to contend for the faith. Notice that. We must earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. In other words, God says, this hasn't taken me by surprise, it may take you. You have to understand that. It's no mystery to God. Certain teachers have come in unawares to you. But remember, from my viewpoint, from God's viewpoint, he says they were ordained unto this condemnation. I knew all about it. Their end shall be separation from me for all eternity. They're ordained to that condemnation. But you be careful as a church. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God, notice, into what? Lasciviousness. Can there be a worse word than this? Into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They crept in unawares. They don't announce what they're going to do. It's a drop-by-drop drop thing as they preach. There's no sudden announcement. We're going to change it all. No, but it's a slow deterioration spiritually. Where the Holy Spirit is not in the man, there can be no life in the church. And if these kind of men, it tells us, are going to come mockers in the last days, men who are filled with lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means wanton lusts. Lured imaginations. When you read your papers, remember these words. They will be lascivious men. They're going to come in unawares. They'll not pre-announce what they're going to do, but when they get into the pulpit, little by little, and beloved, because of the leanings of the natural heart, it's not difficult to get a following. Lower the moral standards, you'll have a following. Make sex licensed to do anything, you'll have a following. Why the college student who goes to a secular college today finds they're not in the crowd unless they engage in such what they call freedoms. But I would remind you that that which man calls freedom, and that is exactly what preachers are saying, we must free our young people from their inhibitions concerning sex. But I want to tell you that what they claim is freedom concerning inhibitions according to God's word is sin. 
and has nothing to do with inhibitions. And we see this whole trend all around us today. And God warns us here. He says, they creep in. Now, I want to say that it's a little different with a gospel preacher. A true gospel preacher never creeps in on a church and a people. His entrance is ever sudden. It's a, like John's name, is a son of thunder. He comes in with a mighty message on the gospel. The power of God descends upon the people. Souls are redeemed in the blood of Christ. People know sense the power of the Spirit of God. They see the vast difference. They see the difference in the man who has crept into the pulpit and begins to deceive the people. And because, beloved, of the carnalness, remember, we have indwelling sin which will respond to anybody who gives sex liberty. So simple in this world today. But I would remind you that God requires discipline. And the Christian life is a life of disciplines because we love Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And here we're warned that these men who creep in unawares into the congregation or into the pulpit are lascivious. And it means they have lewd desires. They have lewd thoughts. They are lascivious. In Peter's epistle, he says they take silly women captive by their allure and by their natural attractiveness. The man in the pulpit, according to his carnal nature, possibly his handsomeness, possibly his attractiveness, his allure, lures people into this freedom which is bondage to the human soul and finally plunges it into a Christless eternity. Oh, beloved, how we should be warned. God has made it so clear in his word. He says, remember, there'll be mockers in the last time who will walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. They be lascivious. They will come into the pulpits and, oh, if I can say this, how we should protect in the things of the church and the membership of the church, how careful we should be. Suppose all we cared for in this Franklin Avenue Baptist Church is a big church. We want not only the pews filled, we want to see it crowded with people all the time. And all we do is say, let's get all the pews crowded. No matter what we have to do, let's see if we can't get all the pews crowded, crowded with people. But I want to say, you bring heartache into the church if you allow the church pews to be crowded by those who are evil in heart, ungodly in ways, and live their lives in the world as though there's no Christ, no salvation, no blood, no redemption, no eternal life, who live as though this life is all and there's nothing else. God help us to protect the church itself and to make sure that in a day when God has warned us, mockers will come. There's a verse over in Jeremiah which says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, he's speaking of the people of God. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Imagine. Blushing was even past. They could do anything. 
and it didn't even bring a blush to them. Listen, do you remember, yeah, I don't know, when I was a young fella, blushing seemed to be a normal thing. <laughs> you know, you hardly, why when I was up to 18, 19 years of age, you know, if you even walk with a girl, they'd kid you or something, and uh, you'd blush, you know, and get all red in the face. And, and we were taught as boys, and after all, my, my family was Roman Catholic, but I was taught a strict moral code. And I remember my mother and father saying to me, remember, I only had a brother, I didn't know the girls in the family, said, remember, you place every girl upon a pedestal, for she is the sign of chastity before God. Imagine, imagine. What has happened to them? What has happened? No blushing anymore. Nothing at all. Oh, beloved, that we would remember that God's warned us, be careful. He says the ones who are going to try to lead the church in the last days are sensual, ungodly men filled with lewdness. Be careful of them. I'm closing, and then I want to prepare for the table. Let me just read this to you that I cut out of the paper. This is concerning a survey was just made of 3,000 Protestant ministers and it reveals exactly how tough it is. Uh, then it says here, a meager 10% have found the ministry satisfying. A great majority of the younger clergymen do not believe any longer in the virgin birth and they do not regard Jesus as divine. And the Bible has lost its stature. The Bible, they say, is not only not to be taken literally, less than 5% of the 3,000 ministers put their stamp upon its inerrancy, but also there is little specific guidance in it for any problems. The ministers claimed sex standards are changing, therefore we must change. 3,000 ministers. We are searching, this I'm quoting, for a new theology concerning sex. A new ethic that will meet the needs of our changing society and at the same time give us a true expression of the Christian life sexually. You want me to read that again to you? Hmm? How that you were told there'll be mockers in the last time who'll walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are those who separate themselves, where from? From God. Are sensual, having not the spirit. They've crept in unawares, and they have turned the grace of God into what? Lasciviousness. You have any doubt we're in the last days? Hmm? Do you? I don't know how you could. Let us pray. Father, 
We thank Thee for this few minutes we've had together in Thy precious Word. Now we ask Thee that as we come to the Lord's table, and Lord, we shudder as we read these things, the only enlightening, encouraging part for us as Christians is that Christ is coming soon. Lord, how we look to that day. Remember Paul spoke of that. He says, if Satan's emissaries are clothed as angels of light, God help us to discern this, clothed like angels of light. Now, Father, give this people discernment. Give our young people discernment because all we read in the papers, all we hear in schools, all we hear from professors, all we hear from the hierarchy of many, many churches is that all of this libertinism is fine. And we see the United States that we love so much, this America, slowly, morally collapsing. God, give us vibrant young people filled with the Holy Spirit of God and a yearning to live not as the world lives, which is the way of destruction, but to live as Christ desires, which is the way of life. Bless us as we come to the table in our fellowship with thee. In Christ's name, amen.